and welcome back to Rewildology, the show that explores conservation, travel, and rewilding the planet. I'm your host, Brooke Mitchell, conservation biologist and adventure traveler. Wolves. Is there another group of animals that is surrounded by so much controversy? We worship wolves, persecute wolves, hunt wolves, and spend thousands of dollars for the chance to see wolves in the wild. Some of us want wolves wiped off the face of the earth, while others want these predators to be restored to all of their former range. On the show, we've explored human coexistence in the U.S., Canada, and Western Europe. And I had to ask, is this narrative true in other parts of the world? Are we just as torn about wolves in, say, Eastern Europe, where wolves were never fully wiped out? To answer these questions and so much more, today we are sitting down with Polish author Anna Mazuk. Beginning in 2014, Anna dedicated her life to telling the story of Poland's wolves through a human lens. In the following six years, she met with biologists and various stakeholder groups to write her book, Instinct, about wolves in Polish forests. Anna and I have a wonderful time exploring her childhood growing up in Poland's forest, why she went into journalism, the moment she became hooked on wolves, the past, present, and future of wolves in Poland, and what it was like for her to sit down with and interview people that had opposite views than her. Before we dive in, I wanted to keep you all in the loop about the fun things I'm up to. When this episode drops, I'll be somewhere in the sky on my way to Tanzania for my job with the wild source. The goal of this trip is to interview the biologist team at our Njoza camp and spend as much time in the bush as possible recording big cat sightings for a massive project I'm leading. Be sure to follow me at Brookery Wild and the show at Rewildology and then of course the Wild Source at the Wild Source on Instagram to see everything that I'm getting into. Uh, I can't wait to take a group of you to the incredible places that I visit. That will be a dream come true when that day happens. But okay, let's get back to wolves in Poland. Please enjoy this conversation with Anna. Well, hi, Anana. Thank you so much for coming on the Rewildology podcast today and sharing your very unique perspective on this much bigger topic in a whole new country that we have not had on the podcast before that I'm very excited to dive into and learn way more about. But first, let's introduce who you are and why you're on the podcast today. So what's your story? How and why did you become a writer? First of all, hi, Brooke. Hi, everyone, and thank you for having me. Um, so my story and my writing, how did it all uh, start? Ooh, maybe when I was in my mother's belly. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that I, I'm not sure of. But um, when I was around nine years old, I would say, I started writing. I remember my first little, little col colorful diaries, you know, and they were like, I think around uh, nine, I started to put something in some small things that, you know, happened in my life. And, and then I started writing poems, not very um, long. I mean, it was not very, um, maybe two, three years later. And I continued to write poems and then short stories. And, and yeah, I was just writing it all for myself. And those diaries still, it still happens actually with the diaries. Yeah. I still write them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I even uh, sometimes uh, teach the class of writing a diary as a method of coping with your problems mm. and like, you know, a way of, helping yourself like to put things in order in your life somehow and because this this I call it emotional writing and this workshop anyway so I was you know a teenager uh, a very young teenager and then I thought hmm why not uh, continue doing it and since I grew up in a very small town and a very beautiful region surrounded by lakes and forests I First of all, I was connected to the nature, but 
Second of all, I was disconnected from the whole world and things that a person can do in life. So I have just this one idea, I can actually write. I had not many other ideas. So I had this uh, reporter guy who became an icon in Poland and also a role model for, for some time for me. He's already passed away, uh, mm. Ryszard Kapuściński. So when it came to the point in my life when I had to choose the um, what I'm gonna study, what I'm gonna do next, I thought I wanted to be like him, to travel, to meet people, to take pictures, and to to see the world and to tell others about this world in some beautiful, interesting way. And that was the idea at first. So I went to study journalism, and after those those studies, I. I I moved to Warsaw to do that, so the capital of Poland. And in the beginning, I wrote about arts to different newspapers and mostly um, national wilds, so like biggest magazines in, in Poland, different titles. And then I really got bored with art. <laughs> I love art, don't get me wrong, but it was not enough for me. I felt like I, I needed and missed those, this nature part that I moved away from, moving from this town that I grew up in, Ostruda. This is the name of the town. So then I actually found a way to, to write about the nature. In the beginning, it was just animal studies, some, some articles about those issues. And then I actually um, went on the street so a woman reading a book about wolves. The title of the book was Feeding the Wolves, which is the worst possible title for, you know, a book about <laughs> yeah. wolves. Right. <laughs> right. But, but then I still was interested with that, with that book. And, and I took it from the library. It was really terrible, really not, not good written and well-written. <laughs> and this, 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 this um, writer, she... It was nothing serious. It was a regular romance. But in, at the end of the book, there was a note that she interviewed this biologist. And I contacted the, not this biologist, but by this book, I found out that the biggest, one of the biggest European wolf biologists, uh, researchers, is a woman and she's Polish. Mm, that's so awesome. I contacted her. Yeah, and then actually just a week later, I ended up in the mountains, Polish mountains, uh, tracking wolves. <laughs> and she said, you know, come, come, because we have those British students um, of ecology or something, biology, and there is going to be this long week workshop. So come and, and yeah, you're going to see what you're going to need from that. So I wrote my first article, big article about wolves then. It was mm. 2014. And I just fall in love. A, with wolves, B, with writing about nature and being in the nature. Like, you know, I found out that I can actually combine two, being in the nature and writing about it, telling people about it, explaining the process in the nature and all that. So I was really thrilled. And so basically, like I would say, this was the changing point in my life going to this um, tracking, wolf tracking trip on many different levels. But it helped me um, get to the place, to the point that I'm, I am right now. I'm in right now and it's, it's a beautiful place that I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm very happy in this place and, and, you know, very happy to be writing about not only wolves, but other uh, animals and nature processes. So... So yeah, long story, not that short, <laughs> yeah. that would be it. <laughs> yes, one thing I just love about your story is when we reflect back and you can see these very just moments in time where you're like that one moment just completely started my trajectory down this path I could have not envisioned. And just imagine where you would not be if you did not see that woman reading that one random book that wasn't even that good. But exactly, it's, it sparked this love of wolves for you. And you're like, I got to continue on. So let's actually start diving into that. Before we get to your book itself, because this is a whole other process that just is fascinating to me. 
Could you teach us a little bit about Poland's wolves and maybe their history of what they've gone through and then uh, up until today? So, yeah, let's just have the Poland Polish Wolves 101, sure. if you wouldn't mind. Sure. No, no, no. Of course. It's a um, kind of similar story to, I mean, Polish wolves and let's say Czech wolves or Germany wolves, German wolves. I don't know if they have nationalities, <laughs> at least that they are aware of. But yeah, it would be the same story, similar story for most of European countries. But the more to the east of Europe, the better wolves were treated, I would say. But not because we are, I think it may have been connected with the poorness of the countries in the past. Mm. So yeah, 15th century gone already in England. And in, um, in Poland, we started uh, hunting wolves in around 19th century. So they were quite, quite lucky in that sense, you know, because we start to, started to do it quite late. And so they were hunted somehow, but still they're in the forest. But wars were always kind of breaks for wolves, uh, mm. in, I think, in, in the whole world. Because, you know, during the war, people just want to feed themselves and they don't eat wolves, they don't eat predators. So yeah, they just let them go, let them leave, let them be. I mean, they don't eat mo most of the predators, at least and it's not the best flesh to eat. So, yeah, during the Second World War uh, in Poland, uh, wolves population got a bit, bit bigger. Uh, hunters estimated it for around 700 uh, wolves. But after the war, they thought, mm, it's, it's too many. We should do something about it. So they actually decided in 1956, so some, some you know, 11 years after the, um, the end of the war, the, the, when the world was already finished, uh, they decided that they're going to eliminate wolves on purpose and everybody like you and I could just go to the forest and do it, pick a pup from a den or um, put some poison near the den and, you know, kill wolves like that. And we would be paid for that. Uh, everybody could kill a wolf. It was allowed. It was even, you know, you were um, welcomed or you were, it's the word for it, um, invited and you know, we rewarded for that. Mm -hmm. So they almost eliminated all of the wolves in Poland around 50 they estimated lasted in the 70s so they said mm, okay it's now it's maybe not enough uh, they can actually uh, just um, get you know totally they can be gone soon um, totally so they decided to change the law so only the hunters could actually kill wolves and it was not allowed to poison them or to take the little ones from from the dens from that point so 75, okay, the population started to grow a little bit, and, but still it was going slowly. And wolves were actually seen only on the eastern part of Poland, near Białowieża forest, which is the ancient forest, near the mountains where I went to, to see my first wolves. I mean, the tracks, I didn't meet the actual wolf, an actual wolf back then. So it was in the mountains and the eastern uh, parts actually the border of Poland and they actually they didn't migrate to other parts so they said mm -hmm, something's not not correct something's not working here and in the in the late 80s and in the 90s uh, some um, NGO organizations uh, started to advocate for a total protection of wolves and it took some years but in 1998 Started in 1995, actually, in some parts of Poland, we got full protection of wolves uh, in the whole Poland. So since 20, I think it's 23, no, 24, 22, 98, 24 years now, they are protected. And when it started, we had, the population was around 700 to like, so like before the war. And now in 2019, they did some DNA countings, like national, you know, wild countings. This program said it's around almost 2,000, almost 2,000 wolves. Wow. 
uh, yeah, yeah. So it actually worked. The uh, the protection actually works, and we have a stable population in almost all the forests in Poland. And uh, I would say the social acceptance is not that bad either, but still controversial. Maybe we're gonna talk about it some more. But yeah, I think it's a bigger problem in the surrounding countries. Uh, Poland is actually taken as an example in many parts of Europe because we did quite well the protection and we managed quite well the conflict. We have this quite well working um, compensation program. And so yeah, it, it, it worked. But for ages, I would say, and and uh, certainly uh, yeah, many, many years was where just, you know, people were trying to totally eliminate them and kill them. Like, And it was very, very um, peculiar, I would say, during the communist times also that they would hunt them in general predators, not only wolves, uh, hunters and foresters, because in, in the forestry we have this department of hunting, actually. Mm. There are two different organizations, the Department of Hunting in the Forest and the organization and the Hunters itself. It's like two different organizations. And the one connected to the forest is under the government. So the government is taking this money from the forest, let's say. So and during the communist times, when, when you could actually hunt wolves, it was a huge business. So people like Fidel Castro or uh, Tito or other like big country um, dictators would come to Poland to hunt our wolves, to hunt our bears, to, to hunt other predators uh, here. There were also deers, of course, we had beautiful, we still have beautiful deers and other moose, um, let's say, other animals. And it was a crazy business, crazy, crazy story, actually, how they did it, how, how there's, um, you know, preparing the scene for, for that hunting, how it all, all looked. Uh, so I'm really happy and glad that, that it's over. But, but yeah, sometimes worried that if it will last, you know, uh, if somebody won't try to, I mean, people are still trying, hunters are still trying to, get the law back to to allow them to hunt wolves so yeah yes thank you thank you for just taking us through all of that and it is it's a great story to hear that they are coming back and they have come back so well just thankfully the adaptations of wolves you know they can come back even after severe persecution which is wonderful and you brought it up a little bit, and I want to just let's dive in now. So you started to bring up the human side of this, and that is what your book is focused on. So it is the human aspect of the wolf. So let's just start going into that. Who did you talk to? What were some of the voices that you went out and saw and learned from? And what did you learn from the people that you went out and met? Yeah, you know, I just uh, I just realized we didn't say uh, not nothing about my book, so maybe I should like give give one sentence. Yeah, what is it about? yes, exactly. <laughs> Please, yeah. uh, sure, sure. So um, it's called Instinct. Um, so you know, it's very symbolic, and um, as you said, it's a book about wolves, but wolves seen by people, and also a book about this relationship between wolves and people and i tried writing this book uh, i tried to uh, explain why do people fear wolves so much and hate wolves so much and love wolves so much at the same time this one particular animal not some other animal not it's not a bear it's a teddy bear even though a bear is much more dangerous can be can be much more dangerous than, than a wolf. And we still fear wolf like crazy. I mean, some people, much, many, many more people actually have problems with wolves than with bears, which is, you know, not rational. And I wouldn't say we should have problems with bears. Absolutely not. Those are amazing creatures uh, that we shouldn't just fear. Mm, but obviously, yes, they are big creatures that, that 
should be treated with some respect and, and with, with reason. <laughs> but coming back to the book, um, so yes, I wanted to I wanted it to be a voice in a discussion about wolves. As I said, I, I had this fear that um, maybe those hunters who still try to make this really bad PR for, for wolves, you know, like try to say they are nasty, they're gonna kill people soon. You know, now they are, they kill your sheep, soon they're going to kill your babies. So I was, and I still sometimes feel fear that wolves can be um, shot, shot again and, you know, hunt again. But I hope not. So in order to actually tell people more about wolves and about our, um, the way we treat them and why do we treat them like that, I interviewed, as you said, different groups, and those were the hunters, the one, the people who used to hunt wolves in the past, or the the ones who still hunt some other animals, but they cannot hunt uh, wolves anymore. So this is an important group because they actually really would love to do it, but it's not allowed. But they have some losses, let's say, because of that. Uh, because they cannot, um, first of all, it's a huge trophy to hunt a wolf for right. them. So, mm-hmm. so they they lose in this game of, you know, who's the best, who's the who's the one who rules in the forest. This is actually another point because this is not them who decide which animals are going to survive, which are going to leave and which are going to die. It's the wolves who, the, the wolves decide. So yeah, those are some parts. And also they have different financial losses. As I said, in the past, they could uh, invite other hunters and get money and get paid for that. Now they still get paid for, let's say, deer hunting. So they still invite some foreign hunters or even from Poland, they're people with money, basically, uh, who they just you know, show the, the right spot and, okay, say, yeah, okay, see, here, you're going to kill some animal. And if wolves kill uh, too many, let's say, for them, deers, then they kill less. So this is the, the kind of laws they have. Uh, I talked to farmers because this is the group uh, that actually have some, let's say, real problems with wolves and uh, they um, lose their stock they lose their um, animal animals because wolves sometimes kill them especially and mostly when they are unprotected so uh, but but yeah so farmers then photographers because in poland we have this problem of those places where you do feeding sites but for predators which is actually not allowed Mm. But people still, some people still do it in some parts of Poland. So they feed bears or wolves, and then it can generate a huge, huge problems. So I also write about this and talk to those photographers and talk to uh, different kind of photographers and, or filmmakers, the ones who did some educational movies, let's say, because I wanted to show the context and how those movies were made, because this is also controversial. Mm, mm -hmm. You know, it's like those wolves, for example, were raised like by humans, uh, and it was not that they were found somewhere lost, you know, alone in the den, but they were um, actually bred on purpose to be uh, an, an actor in a movie which, in my opinion, is con- controversial. But it was a few years back. Now those people and those movies are... Um, those people say they wouldn't do the same movies, not in the same way, and the movies are made in a different way with those bigger traps in the forest. And yeah, we, are, we have different methods now. But I write about this. I talk to a lot of biologists, researchers, and just walk with them around the forest and listen to their stories and their research but actually I want them to show me how it all works so if you have this um, thing called a landscape of fear which is I don't know if you've heard of it oh go ahead go ahead and explain in case someone listening hasn't heard of that before yeah the, the landscape of fear is kind of like a landscape where you have a lot of fallen old fallen trees quite big like I don't know some huge oaks or 
different old old trees. A lot of them falling down, and deers that eat there, they don't feel safe if wolves are around. Because if they are around, they don't see very well. You know, they don't feel um yeah. If they don't see, uh, feel safe, then they don't eat too much in one spot. So they move a lot. So the, they don't eat too much of the forest of the growing trees. Actually, so this is the way actually the wolves can save or uh, yeah in a way save the the forest or help the forest grow uh, and this this landscape is called the landscape of fear it's it was uh, researched in poland by this international team actually so yeah i i uh, write about things like that and i just talk to regular people people that have some wolf stories they that live uh, nearby forest or yeah, uh, I'm thinking if there is anybody else that I I didn't uh, think about now or didn't talk about yet. But basically, anybody who is in any way connected with with wolves can be connected with wolves and can have some, you know, opinion and relationship. Because I I wanted to see why how this those di- dynamics happen. You know how those feelings of let's say fear or love grow uh, inside of people so yeah yeah so then what would you say is the main takeaway from it what was the voice or the goal that you have with talking to so many people and getting the perspective in one coherent book so what was the main like if if somebody read a book what did you want them to walk away with yeah my aim, I would say, an idea behind it was that people will get why, you know, and they, they would actually be able to come to this conclusion by themselves. So I gave the voice to those different groups, different people to pick for, for themselves. Only I maybe corrected or um, put like a little bit of my personal opinions, but really it was little, little things uh, or not very directly, but I did it by, let's say, quoting some researchers or just giving the research after some something that I thought was maybe not very smart. But it was not in a way to manipulate people in order to think whatever I wanted them to think. And people, uh, after reading my book, say that it's the biggest advantage of this book, that it's mm-hmm. quite actually written in a way that you can, you know, try to get your own opinion on, on things. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not there as, a, as a, someone who is judging those people. Uh, and it was really my aim to try not to judge and try to understand. But I was hoping that people would get the idea that it's mostly this fear and the stereotypes are repeated by people from centuries. This is nothing to do with reality. If you put it all together, you just see how it all works, how it's created, those legends, those myths, those um, very dishonest and very really bad um, opinions about wolves that are that have nothing to do they have nothing to do with reality you know because wolves are this very familiar very interesting beautiful white creatures who just fear us mostly they fear us and yeah they try to survive simply and so this is the story in my in my book like I actually forgot to mention the most important uh, characters and heroes of my book, wolves themselves. I wrote about wolves that actually uh, walked through Poland with GPS and GSM collars, you know, and I I could track them, like, I mean, track their um, their journeys uh, in a way. And some of them were killed. So, you know, there were reports, like, from after, after the death and all that. And I could actually dive into their life, their life a little bit and tell those stories and tell people how this wolf life look like looks like. And I tried to do it in a way from, it's not from a wolf perspective, but it's not a human perspective either. It's something in between with which was a bit 
experimental, but mm. I thought, you know, so, so people would actually understand wolves, um, would get the idea what kind of animals they are. Because once they do, they actually can change. And once they change their, their opinions, and once they do, they actually can um, maybe fall in love with those animals or at least start to like them. If they like them, there is a much bigger chance they're going to be old for protection, you know, and if they're going to understand those processes that we talked about just a little bit, like this uh, landscape of fear. So basically, basically what, what wolves do in the forest and in the nature, all predators and all animals have their place in this ecosystem, but uh, most people just don't know it. And I try to explain it in a very understandable way you know this is also one of the aims yeah so yeah. i i try to uh, let's say translate this uh, research language to mm. the regular people language this is another thing i do <laughs> <laughs> which is super important it is so important because well one most scientific research is still behind some sort of paywall where it's really hard for most people to even get their hands on. And even if they could, it's very hard to even interpret a lot of those. So that's why, you know, your voice is so special in here where you're able to take all of these different stakeholders, the research, the people that are just, you know, citizens in your own country and that are with these wolves and like, what is their opinion? And that's why I, that's one of the big reasons why I want to sit down with you because you are in this very special position where you are a writer. So this is like a different lens that you have that you're coming to this with. You know, you're not just a classic biologist that's been studying predators since they were like, you know, in college or something. It's like, I need to come and I need to get this story. What is the story here? And I think for the next point, just from like a, I don't know if it's a people skills perspective, but I'm sure that you have your own strong opinions about wolves. I just naturally, clearly you have a strong passion or you wouldn't go to the lengths that it takes to write a book. And you did. So what was it like maybe talking to someone that you didn't agree with? How, how did you approach maybe different groups that maybe you weren't, you didn't normally align with in some way, shape or form? And then how did you get every, all these different people to talk to you? And what was that like? Like, how did you actually do that because I'm thinking about somebody listening right now that maybe they might have a project coming up where they might need to talk to someone that maybe outside of their own bubble of thinking you know it's so good to talk to people that think differently than you you never know what you're going to learn but yeah like just dive into that a little bit for us what was that like for you yeah it was very difficult <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it, seriously it was there were moments that I was just very tired <laughs> because of that. And after those certain meetings, like let's say with certain hunters, especially with hunters, um, so the people with totally different opinions and perspectives and yeah, just life priorities and everything than, than, than me and than I, I was exhausted, <laughs> but I really, at the same time, I really wanted to understand this piece of how their minds work, you know, so, and why it's so important for them to actually, let's say, kill those animals. So what I did, first of all, I, I would say, yeah, this is the question of curiosity. I was curious. In general, why I do anything in life, it's because I'm curious. I have questions. I want to understand. I don't understand. I <laughs> really don't understand so many things. I'm very angry at so many things. But I think if I just stop at this point of not understanding and being mad at things, I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm not going to change anything. So what I try to do is, first of all, educate people. So, yeah, that's why I write books. That's why I do workshops. And in order to, you know, to talk to people that are that think differently that, that I, I do, I have to get out of my comfort zone. So it's not like anybody actually taught me that, you know, how to <laughs> uh, talk to people or ask questions. 
during my studies. It was journalism, but it wasn't the best, I would say. <laughs> but this part didn't work very well. It was just my natural thing, this being curious and actually being able to listen to people. So that what I did for so I did it for so many years, since 2014, I was getting to know people. At first, there were mostly biologists and researchers. But after some time, when I went to this or that part of Poland, because I traveled through whole Poland, Poland, like in different parts of Poland, to get the different, you know, different perspectives of different people and different areas had different histories with wolves if they were in there if they were absent in some parts that people had different experiences than the ones that actually had had wolves like since forever so with this um, travels uh with those journeys i get to know more and more people so after some time i just knew okay i have to go to this person to that person to get those kind of those kind of information. So this is how it worked in the beginning. But then I actually had to knock on this, those doors and mm. really say hi. I'm writing this book and try not to not show what I think. And this is this was very difficult. And yeah, it took a lot of. I was learning. It was a process of learning with this book for me. Uh, learning of acceptance of of others and like different points of view and I actually learned with this book I grew with this book okay I went to my first hunter and he said some crazy things and I just asked some small questions and I wasn't ready for more but then after this first meeting I just called him again after some time and then we met uh, we met again and we talked for some more and I listened, I really listened, I asked questions and I didn't, at the beginning, I didn't criticize, you know, mm-hmm. I just listened. And then when they actually got good time and space to say whatever they want to say, then I started maybe argue a little bit, but only then, you know, like at the beginning, I needed to be uh, like a mirror or, or like, just, you know, I'm seen in a way just a ghost who's there to to witness whatever is happening there so yeah so that was mostly the key in the beginning but at the same time I couldn't be very good that I had my own opinions but at some point it was it was good that they knew that I knew that I was uh, what I was talking about so um, I think that was the key one of those uh, hunters very old who killed like 50-something wolves during the times that uh, it was allowed. It was called wolf action, this this mm. period mm-hmm. between the 50-something and, you know, 70s and this time. So he, in the beginning, was very unhappy with me. He was like, oh, what are you doing here? Uh, wolves are going to kill you, you know, and things like that. It was really unpleasant. But then after some time, and he would say, yeah, I was trying to get some notes. I knew I couldn't record him because he wouldn't agree to that. So I asked if somebody doesn't agree, I just don't do it. I, you know, I'm ethical. So, yeah. So I just tried to, I tried to do some notes, but he would stop telling me his story when I was doing that. So I just stopped doing those notes and just listen. So when those listening, uh, with time, he said, okay, so maybe come in, I get you, I will do it, I will get you some some tea or whatever, some coffee. Okay, and then we talked like for three hours. Wow. And, and I felt some sympathy to this guy at the end, you know. I understood why he did what he did. He was one of the first people who, after the war, came to these mountains. And it was very difficult, hard times. And in order to support your family and your cows, you know, to protect your cows, your stock, you actually had to be cruel sometimes because people didn't have money. You know, it was hard to build fences, fences that would work and all that. So if this uh, wolf bag killed your um, five, only five cows you had and the the cows that you feed your family with, I mean, this milk of those cows and I don't know, fat, other things. Maybe you used to sell those cow, cows for, for some other purposes. So in the end, I, I could under, 
understand why this guy did what he did. And it was this whole propaganda to hate wolves. And you were so well paid to do it. So yeah, that was the process more or less. Me being curious and listening. And it worked with and it worked similarly with, with every group actually that I went to and talked to. I love that you just brought up that example. That is oh I could not I don't even know how I could have dreamed up a question to bring that example up. Because, you know, me working with predators so much too, that is commonly the narrative. It's it's no one just wants to inherently hate stuff. Like I really wish that narrative could just go away. It's like there's usually a reason. There's some sort of reason. And like I don't know how I would feel if my family's life and livelihood was on the line like that, especially post-war. Like the stress that that man must have been under in his life to support his family. And if that wolf pack was the difference between his family possibly not eating or if he could just take care of the wolves and he at least had that comfort he could sleep at night, like, I mean, how could you judge someone for that, you know? So I love that you brought that up. And it just shows the importance of no matter what side of the table you are on, that you talk, you reach a hand out to the other side and it'll be like, please, I want to understand where you're coming from. Can you explain your story of why you feel that way? No judgment here. No judgment uh, here. I just want to hear. Because only then you can actually start right. a conversation. Mm -hmm. You can start talking with those people. And this is what I did also. With that. Mm -hmm. When I talked to, to the farmers, in the beginning, I was listening to their stories, to their complaints. Sure, I, yeah, I know. Yeah, sure, sure, yeah. But then I said, okay, but do you do this? But do you know that about wolves? And, you know, I just gave them some knowledge, some examples, some, yeah, just talk to them. And they were like, uh-huh, yeah, right. You, you, you're right, you know, like they, I've seen that they were, changing their opinions a bit that they thought they, they actually can change something maybe in the way they protect their stock or something their animals so i it's absolutely necessary it's very complex why why people kill why people hate why people it's not one reason mostly there is there was this other guy he's still alive he's he killed like there are legends. Uh, some of them say 70 wolves. Some of them say 150 wolves. Just one guy. But he, he wasn't hungry. He wasn't protecting his family in that way. He was earning money. He, he was earning money, like actually gaining a lot of money because he was the one who would lead the rich hunters to, to, to the wolves. To you know, He would put this... Um, Caracas or whatever, you know, that some flesh uh, in front of those, uh, in the fitting sites where you had those, um, how do you call those places from which they shoot animals? Um, like a hide? Like a yeah, hide? Uh, yeah, and a hide, exactly. So, so, you know, he would take people there and he would just get a lot of money. He would become a rich person, actually, because of that. And I saw no rational reason you know why he would actually kill wolves he just liked killing them it was something that gave him power that gave him yeah power is is the the right word i mentioned it before but very shortly like who has the power in the forest who has the power over the animals in the forest and this is a huge question and Yet to understand that, in order to, again, in order to talk to those people, you at least have to know that, to understand that, but from, from a different point than just judging, the, the, you know, judging perspective. Because if it's going to be this one, then you're going to be close to, to actually talking to them. Right, right. I wouldn't want to talk to somebody who's judging me. You know what I mean? Like, why? I wish people had that perspective more where they could flip the lens on themselves like would you want to talk to you if you were approaching somebody in that manner i wouldn't you know like that's why i'm so open-minded yeah. and talk to so many different people and why i 
felt oh, why well, I just wanted the opportunity to chat with you too, because yeah, we all have our own thoughts, our own morals, our own, own ideas about living with this different wildlife around the world. But that doesn't discount somebody else. And that doesn't mean yeah. that we can't listen to them either and have this open dialogue and then share it in a way that doesn't offend them, that gives them a voice that everybody, this this one animal that can have bring so much controversy yeah. as the wolf. So I guess my next logical question after, so you're Polish, you live in the country, you know all about the wolves, you've talked to everybody. From your perspective, what does the future look like for Poland's wolves and maybe Eastern Europe's wolves? Mm. Oh, okay. This, uh, I, it was me who mentioned the Eastern Europe part, which is controversial too. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, funny, but it was me who said it. It's true. And we say we are in Central Europe, which is kind of funny. I mean, we are, we are, and I don't mind either. But if I think about Eastern Europe, I think about Ukraine, Belarus. Um, Lithuania, so Eastern from Poland, but it's, it's, and there is this huge discussion about what's, what's, what what's, what, where's the Europe. line? <laughs> yeah. 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 Anyway. Yeah. If you think about those countries there, you can hunt wolves. You, there were no breaks in hunting the wolves. You still can hunt them and it's not very well, well regulated. They have a lot of problems and you can, I give the uh, Belarusia as an example of cont like a uh, how do you call it control not control example but like a bad example of how the hunting of wolves actually is not helping. It's like absolutely not a solution to some problems that we can have living nearby wolves, like cutting wolves in our uh, country. You know, because if you hunt them, it doesn't solve anything, absolutely anything. If you kill almost all of them, then it can help. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, we did it, and uh, it's not a very great idea, especially now with the uh, you know climate change and everything. Uh, and yeah, it's many so many different reasons. Anyway, so those countries you can hunt wolves, but basically, in all the other um, neighbors of Poland, you can't. I mean, Poland was first one because our wolves migrated after the protection they migrated from poland to germany from germany mm. to uh, to holland to uh netherlands and you know different uh western countries from poland and uh, germany still protects their wolves too uh then czech protects their wolves uh, uh slovakia now from two years or almost year at least they have full protection of wolves which is great it was it's whoa it was a huge success so most of our neighbors actually protect wolves which is good this gives this give the the population like a some chance to you know to be those uh, eco corridors to to actually work the the population to get like in a better shape and all that so that's good and this is the European trend, I would say. And Poland is a leader in, in that. And even though we have a very strong voices from those hunters, mostly some foresters who hunt to some, some farmers, but mostly farmers, I would say they, they are somehow pushed by the, uh, by the hunters to, to be so much against, you know. We have some rich uh, farmers, but this is not the richest group in Poland. This is the the hunters are mostly the ones who have something to say. So they really try to force the law to be changed, you know, to be changed back to some 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 kind of you know some gap of shooting again. But it's really difficult with European Union uh, law and the different protective uh, laws. It's very difficult. It would be very difficult to change it back to the way it was or even like a step back. So I'm quite confident right now after writing this book. Before, I was really worried. Now I'm quite confident it will be very difficult. Of course, when we have those, like sometimes you have those actions and like there is just billions of those fake news in the internet 
wolves killed a deer just next to the school entrance or something, or, <laughs> you know, or those predators, those beasts, I don't know, ate, killed some something and you think maybe, or they killed someone and you think, oh, they killed a person. And then you read the article and it's not that. And, and you know, the school was just next to the, you know, it's basically in the forest or something. So yeah, they killed a deer there. So, but if you have those actions and they're like huge, like you have those so many bad, uh, bad articles, then, then I think I'm a bit worried, but just for a moment. And then again, we have a lot of really serious good researchers um, who just advocate for wolves and the many NGOs and books, maybe not like mine because um, mine is the only one who, which, which shows this social context, I would say, the mm. social background behind this wolf protection um, or, or, yeah, getting it uh, reversed. So I think we are safe and we are in a, in a good place because the population is stable. Yeah, we have wolves all over Poland. And as I said, they migrate and yeah. So I hope it's going to continue like that. Yeah. That's good to hear. <laughs> it's good to hear. It's amazing when you could do all the research and like, okay, good. Yeah, I feel pretty solid. But, yeah, but you, you know, you, you never know. Cause, uh, yeah, there's oh, that, always uh, that fear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But but for now, I think it will be very difficult. You know, with the with the worst situation, the situation with the ecosystems, with the situation with the climate and all that, it's really not that easy to just put a stupid decision like that. And people object. And this is also why, why I wanted to write a book like that, you know, to for, for, for the people to actually object if something like that uh, was to happen. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, and yeah, they do. If there is a, you know, if this um, general direction of environment protection allows to kill a wolf, a certain wolf, because this wolf is killing sheep, let's say, uh, repeatedly, then even that situation is not obvious. Sometimes people say, oh, why do you allow to kill this wolf? It's controversial, but we had this situation where wolves uh, started to, they tried to start a family just nearby quite big city called Poznan. And it was just not a big enough forest, you know. This forest mm. was fragmented, there were too many people. Uh, so with time, not enough ungulates for, for the wolves to, to eat and all that to hunt. And with time, those wolves uh, started to get sick and would hunt those dogs around, just walking around. People would get very unhappy with the wolves because, yeah, somebody saw a wolf hunting a dog, you know, like killing a dog. And yeah, so there was this huge discussion. Should we kill this pack? And people, most people, some people wanted to do it. And some people actually were against they they said no we should try to get them and just to uh, get them the medicine and let them be or maybe put them into some other place you know get them to some other forest you know there are no other forests and mm. as as you know somebody who knows anything about uh, nature and nature conservation all that you know that it's not possible to just take a pack of wolves and just put it wherever they actually have their own territory and all that and it's, we just don't have any more free let's say a forest in Poland wolf packs are everywhere but on a like stable level so the ones that try to get nearby those big cities mostly they just don't survive this pack actually died in a natural way mm. there was this huge discussion but in the end they were just they probably all just died in a you know natural processes Mm. But it was very hard to explain to people why it's so hard to take them away from the nature or, you know, like to solve this problem because they just wanted to have those short, uh, short way answers, I would say, you know, and it's all very complex. Yeah. yeah. There's never a straight answer when it comes to conservation. <laughs> there yeah, never yeah, really yeah. yeah. So... Your book is done. It is out. You know, anyone can read it, especially if you can read Polish, then you can read your amazing book. So 
what's next for you? Is there anything that you're working on that you can talk about or not? Or I feel like, you know, this like big moment, you did it, you wrote your book, it's published, it's doing great. So like, then what? I mean, does that feel weird? You know, <laughs> what are you looking forward to? Yeah, yeah. You know, in the in the beginning, it, it was like, no, totally. I, I I didn't want to do anything else because I was still so much in that book. I was doing it and working on it for, for a few years, basically since 2014. But in the beginning, it was just writing articles. Then it was gathering materials for, for the actual book. But still, I was so, you know, like, my all my head was in filled with uh, filled with that uh, wolf uh, stories and just wolf tracking me going to the forest and just tracking those wolves and trying to understand them trying to you know get to know the way they live and all that and I wasn't ready to just let go of that and I was kind of unhappy to do it like oh no is this over like what wh what now but no so first of all you have those. Uh, publishing meetings, author, author's meetings, and I still talk about wolves, educate about wolves. So I'm working on that, uh, on a book for kids, and it's still connected to the nature and different topics that are um, a continuation of the work I did before. So I'm very, very um, excited about that too. And yes, I do work on another, um, um, another like books for adults too and it's going to be about nature nature protection <laughs> people like humans animals and different parts of nature uh relations again um, and i i hope for this book to be more even more complex this one is quite complex already showing this you know the reasons why <laughs> and i hope to with this one to explain even more of the processes, natural processes and the ecosystems and all that, what what comes from what and, and, and all that. But also, I would like to tell more about our, our even more about our, our human nature and the consequences of our behaviors, you know, because, um, yeah, there are huge consequences. And uh, I try to with the, with that book, I tried to connect the dots and show the you know what's what's gonna happen if we're gonna continue doing that or that. So I cannot say like exactly what this book will be about not yet, but uh, I'm very excited about it. And yes, in the beginning, it was ever said hard to 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 say bye to wolves, but it's absolutely not. So like a total, yeah, it didn't happen. I'm still very much into the subject. I'm giving all those talks and this uh, this topic is still with me and those animals are with me all the time in the, in the forest. You know, I have my meetings. I mean, <laughs> not scheduled, but sometimes I just have, I'm, I was lucky a few times to actually meet wolves, see wolves in the forest, in the wild. So I'm always happy to, to to yeah go there and see how are they doing and know that they're safe and you know check okay there are those seven pairs of trucks good it's fine they're <laughs> <Yeah>. all there <laughs> yeah so when you get done with your next books we'll just have to have you back on when you're allowed to openly talk about them i know that there's a we got to be a little secretive until that point but it's yeah. awesome you're still writing and you're still gonna contribute to the next topic which is very exciting and one of my last questions that I love to ask everybody that comes on is so you've been through a lot you've experienced a lot you have a lot of knowledge and just experience in your years in the field what advice do you have for anyone listening that they could walk away with yeah it's good that you say walk away <laughs> I would say we should I would really wish for us that more of us would actually decide to walk away from time to time or more often at least from animals but in a way that instead of getting closer and closer wanting to see wanting to discover wanting to I mean, 
but on the costs of those animals. Like, you know, if I get too close to a wolf, let's say, then probably he or she, this, this animal will get scared, will we'll have to run away. And there are so many of us humans that those interactions and those, you know, our um, impact is huge. So I, in that sense, I mean, to take a step away, step back. Step back is the, the correct, actually. Um, yeah, to, to put it correctly, it's a step back. Yeah, in, instead of, you know, going and having like this picture, I know it's going to be a great picture and I really want to take it. Let's think about this, uh, the lives of those animals that they're interrupted so many times already. Like it's so many things, you know, the, the, the logging in the forest, the, you know, the tourism, this, that. Let's not be an extra element to, to the stress level in the, in the forest, in the nature. So, so yeah, I would say let's give some more, more space to, to the nature, to the natural part of the world, to the rest of, of the world, because we are part of, we are obviously a part of it. But yeah, let's make some space and be more aware and, and, and whenever we are with the nature. Because as I said, I love to go to the forest. I love to, you know, if I encounter an animal, I, I obviously try to, like, you know, take pleasure from this moment. But if I see that the animal doesn't see me, doesn't hear me, feel me, um, you know, sense me, I try to just walk away. And yeah, not to, not to scare this animal. So that would be it, I guess. That is really, really good advice. I completely agree as well. Just seeing so much wildlife, it's, it, it really is amazing how much we can stress them out. Even wildlife that is habituated to humans because maybe they might be in a protected park where they know that they're safe. But still, sometimes a line can be that line can be really thin between comfortable and not comfortable. So that is really great advice. But how can somebody? If they want to reach out maybe when they want to talk to you more or maybe want to read more about your book or, or follow you and see all the things that you're up to or maybe when you're ready to announce your next book, how can somebody get a hold of you? Yeah. So probably the best way would be to follow me on Instagram by just, you know, putting my name Anna with double N, Majuk. I'm sure you're going to uh, make sure your... the links yeah <laughs> yeah it will be helpful for those who just have some problems with the spelling of a different foreign name uh so yeah the instagram will be the best way to to contact me i guess and if i would love for my book to be translated in into english you know it's i would say it's a universal story about humans and animals mm. and you know wolves so it's a polish context but it's also a story about those two species species yeah maybe 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 that will happen one day oh that would be wonderful i will be one yeah. of your first customers if you're able to get it in english uh maybe i could read a little bit of like google translator but i don't know if i can do a whole book so i hope one day you can get it in english so that you know us pretty much anywhere can also enjoy your beautiful work and the story and all the time that you put into the story and sharing what the wolf story is from polish citizens perspective like that's just such a very special view of this very conflict-ridden, beautiful, wonderful, just also normal species. <laughs> exactly. We're the exactly. one that put the labels on it. It's just a wolf. We say it's all of these things. So <laughs> it's just a wolf. It's just an animal. Exactly. Exactly. And this, you know, unique perspective as is there of Polish people and whatever country. It's also a universal, in a way, perspective. Right. Our stories, you know, I know United States uh, wolf stories, let's say. Um, I mean, the history of the United States wolf, more or less. I read some books. And this is basically the same. <laughs> same yeah. hate, hate and love and, you know, farmers and hunters and politics and the same story. Right. So, so, so yeah. It's it's uh, it's special and the same at the same time. <laughs> this, is, this is amazing, yeah. 
Well, Anna, you're an amazing person. And again, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. So again, thank you so much. Thank you, Brooke, very much for having me here. Thank you. It's a real pleasure and honor, honor to be, be talking to you here and to, to all your listeners. <laughs> so wealthy. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, and I hope to, to see you again. Yep. And yes. To talk to you again. I really hope Anana is able to translate her book into English for all of us to enjoy. If you have a connection that might make this dream a reality, please let me know and I'll connect you with her directly. If you have a question about today's episode, please submit your question in the Rewildologist Facebook group. As always, I want to thank you for being a part of the Rewildology community. If you'd like to support the show, some zero-cost ways include subscribing to the podcast on your favorite streaming app, leaving a rating and review to boost the algorithm, which will present the podcast to more listeners, signing up for the weekly Rewildology newsletter at rewildology.com, subscribing to the YouTube channel, and following the show on your favorite social media app. If you'd like to financially support the show and help us keep these stories on the airwaves, consider making a monetary donation at Rewardology.com or purchase a piece of swag to show off your Rewardology love. At least 10% of proceeds from this show will be donated to our conservation partners. I'd also like to thank Focusrite for powering the podcast sound. If you'd like to see the Focusrite gear we use to record the show, head on over to rewildology.com and check out Nature Podcasting under the Resources tab. Until next time, friends, together we'll rewild the planet. Hey, thanks again for listening to this episode of Rewildology. If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe button to never miss a future episode. Do you have a cool environmental organization, travel story, or research that you'd like to share? Let me know at rewildology.com. Until next time, friends, together we will rewild the planet.